Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Between the Butcher and the block. Don't be complacent. All right, tonight's show, we've got two female warriors. Uh, we've got Angel and Emmy. Stick around. Tonight's going to be full of who knows what We're on Between the Butcher and the Block. Block, block, block. Block, <laughs> block, block. Was, it, how, was that all right? That was my first crack, so... That was Can good. We, that was you amazing. leave that in? Yeah. Is that yeah, all right? That's good. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> that was terrible. That was terrible. That should be enough for anyone. <laughs> but 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 we do have Angel and Emmy, uh, warriors. We we tr- we put these ladies together because uh, they're helping women out wherever they. Are. Well, Angel's actually out of school at the moment, but uh, yes. just two altruistic people that we thought whoever listens to us, the, the twelve people that listen to us, should know what these uh, women are up to. Angel's also, I should say, sick as a dog tonight, and a dog that's sick, mm. not a well dog, a sick dog, and yet she still made the effort to drag herself into a semi-upright pose and speak. Thank you, Angel. Thank See, she you. wouldn't be a warrior. She wouldn't be a warrior unless she was up there doing yes. I guess. semi-upright. <laughs> when you say they're warriors, Steve, do you mean like in the SAS? Are you talking Xena or what? What is this? Where's this warrior stuff coming from? Very scared now. Uh, just, just powerful women that have taken on the world. That's cool. I can deal with that. I hope. With their, with their um, spiritual and metaphysical sword, just slaying. Emmy's here to slay us tonight. And, oh, oh, well, there you go. She's picked up straight away, Angel. She's in. But we could be in trouble, Rob. Look out. <laughs> So you two have not had the pleasure of meeting one another before, have you? No. Which is fairly typical for this show. We usually, um, Steve and I, we move in somewhat different circles. They're more, mine's more like an irregular polygon than a circle, really. But um, And we, we tend to kind of go, hey, I know someone, and the other one will go, I know someone who might enjoy talking to them and bring them together and, and see what happens. Steve, you have a very deep question you like asking our guests. Do you want to fire off with that one? All right. Well, I'll direct it to Angel first. Emmy, you can think about your answer, I suppose, because you'll probably be next. Uh, Angel, we want to know who are you, but we don't want to know about career. We don't want to know about age, sex, marriage. We don't want to know how many cats. We want to know the metaphysical question of, who are you on this planet at this moment? Wow, that's a big question. Who am I on this earth at this moment? Well, I, I quite quite like the I quite like the warrior kind of idea. I 
believe in social justice. So I think, um, and environmental justice. So I like to think that I derive from that place. Um, and I also really enjoy sharing what I know. I think everything that kind of has happened to me and everything that I've done and places that I've been have all kind of amalgamated into this, um, mush. And that is, that is driven by a, a pretty strong kind of, I don't know, like almost ancestral kind of connection and belief in, I don't know, honesty and kindness and justice, I guess. And a strength that, um, pushes through hard times and comes out the other side. Do you contend, because I argue that uh, we're made up of the material world, the metaphysical world, the uh, ethereal world, I challenge that if you're uh, nurturing goodness, righteousness, good feelings, um, then that makes the balance stronger for the side of good without being too righteous about it, opposed to those that always look at the negative, that want to consistently um, do things that not everyone would agree with. Do you feel like there is a war going on where you do have this spiritual sword of goodness that you're deciding to use for good? Because it'd be just as easy for any of us to do to do evil or bad, wouldn't it? I think it starts sounding a bit righteous if you if if like for me, like if if you start talking about the um, just being the good in the world kind of thing. I think we're all light and dark, you know. Like we're all like we all have both of that in us and it just is about choice. You know, it just yeah. is about choice and that their choices in the moment, you know, like that their choices in every moment. Um, yeah. And sometimes we get it wrong, you know, like don't always get it right. Like it is about being kind of having those, I think um, building blocks of belief in what the core of what we, we want to be in the world. And that gives us, that gives us a better chance of making good choices, I think, um, in the moment. Um, yeah. no, I agree. I yeah. agree. And I'm glad that you didn't slide into uh, religion there or Christianity because from it's my perspective, I feel like Christianity <laughs> um, typically or particularly has um, sort of taken on or hijacked good values. If, if you're a good person, you do a good thing, Christianity likes to say, well, that's a Christian act. And this is from the same people that have committed the most horrendous acts in yeah, history. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't think it's just Christianity that does that. I think <laughs> that, no. um, yeah. that anything that uh, gets dogmatic get, does that. Do you believe in Buddha? Do you classify Buddhism as a, as a religion? Because Buddha is just, just be good to people. I mean, Buddhism, I, I think, is a religion. But um, I, don't I don't necessarily believe in Buddha. Um, I... Um, have a fairly, I don't know, esoteric kind of earth-based spirituality, um, that is more pagan than anything. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, I've had conversations with trees. Will that freak you out? No, it wouldn't freak me out at all. trees communicate? <laughs> well out. Sure. <laughs> no i just think i was as the resident buddhist i was just being quiet uh-huh. i mean <laughs> believe in buddha what what does that mean like yeah. Well, yeah. Was a historical figure who was 
you know. There is an esoteric Buddhism. There's a religious aspect to Buddhism. You can find that all around the world. And then there's a philosophical aspect. So, for example, Zen Buddhists are not, not a religion, although sometimes it's practiced that way. If you go to Tibet, the Buddhism that's practiced there is, you might as well be in the Vatican. Um, yeah. yeah, anyway. But this is there not, you go. I had you heard a, it here first. I'm so glad you said that, Angel, because if, big if, huge if, if there is a war between good and evil, of course everyone thinks they're on the good side. Yeah, of course. No one gets up in the morning and goes, I'm gay. it's not Lord of the freaking Rings. You know, I'm going to go out and fight for evil. And when it comes to Christianity, I was, look, I might like Christians. I've just never met one. Not a real one. That you like. <laughs> anyway, Emmy. Look, oh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to come back to there, but I think we're yeah. going to... Yeah, Emmy, who are you? Hello, I'm Emmy Lee and I'm a Christian. So, um, ask me your question first, Steve. We just want to... Sim we just want to... Sim well, we think we're simplifying, but it's actually a, a, a quite a pr profound question. We yep. want you to answer, who are you without using names, background, history, life choices? Who are you in this moment on this earth today? Who are we meeting? I am love. There you go. That'll do. That sounds corny, weird, and most people, I guess, if they would ever hear that, I've never actually said that, uh, would probably attack it. So I'm quite used to being attacked. I've learnt to build my foundation strong. I've um, had a lot of bricks thrown at me in my life and I've learnt to build a castle out of it. Like Angel was saying, like, you don't ever really become a warrior. She was talking about things that happened to her and, you know, you put it all together and it's exactly what it is. We all have these massive little chapters of our life, some long, some short, but they affect us and mould us and make us who we are. And, and you know, to be a warrior... We're fighters, so we're going to have the good and we're going to have the dark. We're going to have the, you know, we're going to have that. And my gosh, I have seen some dark in this chick. Not for a long time, but if you are stuck with my kids and my kids overseas, that sword will come straight out and it will, it will slay. Right now, I feel like I am love. I feel like I teach people how to love themselves, um, how to... I think I bring up a lot of issues and a lot of people, not people on my social media that don't even know me. Um, I think they feel, you know, threatened or as if she said that or whatever because I'm quite opinionated. And I think they, they really have the issue is with them. And it's when you point that finger, it's pointing all the others back at you. And they're massive lessons I had to learn. I wanted to be a victim. I wanted to be all those things, but true warrior women, we, we give up on the victim. We, uh, we just say, stuff the victim, we're out. We're going we're gonna to fix this. Um, I think I process things a lot quicker as I've got to nearly 42. Um, I, I obviously still get a knock in the head every now and again and I, I just have to process it quicker and pull it apart and get back on the board because um, you, can't, you can't be a light in the darkness and help a lot of people without... You know, people, the more people that attack me, the more I realise that I'm on the right path. And now I'm yeah. using that, I'm using that as, as fuel, whereas five years ago I was, you know, 15 kilos heavier, half my hair gone, bulging eye from Graves' disease, one of my daughters died, sick, five autoimmune diseases. Now I've gone, fuck this, excuse me, blooper, 
I've got the choice to live or die. I've got the choice to do this. How am I going to do it? And um, I don't want to live as a victim for another 40 years and I want to attack this. And that's been a huge lonely road. That's been getting rid of moulding out of different groups and people and, and I'm toxic and, and, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't drink, smoke, eat Patrick's food. I've completely done a 360 and that is a lonely road, man. I'm... I'm six years single and I go on dates and I feel like I'm counselling them and I go home sad and alone and I'm I'm lonely. Like I have all these fans and I have all this, you know, since my eldest daughter left, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit lost and, um, you know, but I feel like my purpose is I am love and my... Um, I don't call I hate religion. When people say you believe in God, like I am anti-religion. I just want to clarify that. Um, my walk with God, I was an absolute passionate atheist, not just an atheist. I was a passionate atheist until 2006 and I got hit by a double semi truck that rolled six times and broke everything in my body, spinning on my back. And I saw God and he spoke to me. And I'm very much a person that I don't believe anything until I've seen it. And it's, you know, I'm just not convinced otherwise. And um, you can read all that in the newspaper. So that's gone back a long time ago. And um, I didn't find God. He found me and he put me on the head and he put me in touch with um, Hoa Stone, which is my mentor, who then I got on board and saved 447 kids from the streets. And I can be in, I don't, I'm a qualified pastor, hence my Jesus on my finger and my big cross tattoo on my back, which is really funny because <laughs> you guys are sitting there. Um, but you can't me, see it because this is audio, but just <laughs> of the friar in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> but let me explain this to you. I, I, I... I'm a Christian that's learning to like Christians. I struggle with Christian people. I struggle with their um, the hypocrisy. I struggle with it. I've done seminars at churches and I've got off stage and people are going, oh, you're in a third world country and it's communist and you're going against the government. That's not very Christian. And I go, oh, how many kids are you having? Are you having any more? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, so you're on contraception then and you're going to judge me in the house of God. Wow, this is why I don't come to church. I'm very uh, mind your business sort of person, whatever works for you. If Buddha works for you, that works for you. If Christianity works for you, that works for you. For me, I don't push it. It's in my social media. I never say God. I never say Jesus. I never say any of that. But it is in the background of some stuff I sort of tweak because it, to me it's your own journey and whatever works for you. For me personally, if I didn't pray hard, I would wake up with not the answer that's clear to me. And that's I can be in Vietnam in a hotel about to save a child praying and I can see two streets down, a red sweater, I need to go there and get that kid. And no one on the planet can tell me that's me saying it and no one else can tell me that's not from a higher power. And I've experienced so many different things um, with with my walk with God that it's been insane. Like I could I could write a book just on that since 2006. So, you know, that's, that's my guidance and that's what's got me here. Pre that I was managing a strip club in Brisbane. So from that to doing what I'm doing now, 
no one on the planet can convince me otherwise. I go, oh, whatever works for you because I couldn't come up with these ideas. I couldn't come up with these things and I most definitely would prefer to be in Vegas doing a lot of more fun stuff than in the slums living with my kids in Asia. So people need to realise my belief is huge. It's not just, a, oh, I'm going to go do that. And all the photos on Facebook when I am in Nepal and stuff, I only post the nice ones. Let me tell you, it is it is hardcore, man. It is hard. It is sleeping on the ground with 25 kids in minus 5 degrees, bucket of water every two weeks for a shower, same food day in, day out. It is tough, especially when you leave here. Can we, can we just say, like, I think that's quite brave in itself, just uh, being love. Because um, evil wants to have a go at love, wants to hurt it, wants to throw rocks, wants to drag it down. So that's what I feel sometimes what you're saying when people attack you. It's coming from their, their hurt or their pain or their bitterness mm. or whatever. It's not so much them. So can we, uh, can we ask, um, do you want to tell us exactly what you're doing over in those third world countries? Mm. Well, this year I'm having a year off, which um, I posted recently because it's the first one I've had off since 2006. The charity originally started going through um, helping kids get off the street, putting them into shelters, which ended up, uh, I ended up a third in the project in um, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And that's where we set up 22 shelters over about nine years where we all had our part in it. There was an um, American man who was connected to an airline that paid the rent and then I um, was the food and some schooling staff and the bedding and the clothing and we all had our little part in it. Sadly, working in a communist country and in a lot of the third world countries, a lot of those shelters got pulled down and then you put new ones up and then they, it's all very corrupt. It's a really hard industry. It's probably the hardest industry I could think of working in because you put your heart and soul into things and it can just get shut down on, on corruption like the drop of a hat. And, and, and that's really heartbreaking and plays with your head a lot because some days you think, am I really doing anything good here? Because... You know, I'm giving these people hope and then it just gets smashed out and they end up on the streets again. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard game. It's a tough gig. In Nepal, I shut down the legal committee last year. I decided it was too hard to run the charity with a committee of six, especially with people that a lot of them had never even been overseas, but I think they were more attached to the whole image of it, more so than actually getting their hands dirty. And it's sort of after nine years of that, it sort of failed me a bit. There were some beautiful people that did really have their heart in it, but I think a lot of it was to connect to something for an image, which I struggled with. I'd take them overseas and they'd end up at the markets and they were supposed to be, you know, doing other stuff. It all just seemed a bit, you know, they get one photo with one lot of kids for two days and, you know, they'd post that on their, their stuff and, you know, they were there two weeks doing nothing but shopping. So it used to just shit me. So in Nepal, I got asked by two charities um, in Australia to go un undercover and actually unravel some charities that um, were what they call monkeying children. So they set the kids up, they have a dance around, you know, you're supposed to feel sorry for them and pay for their schooling or pay for their this. So I go over as this chick that's pretend married to this rich man and, you know, I just trek around in my backpack with my kid and our burkas and, you know, we meet people and we get our way in and we, we stay there 
and we live there and we're like the cool people and I do their makeup and teach them to belly dance and and whatever and then eventually while I'm there I'm taking photos but I'm not I'm taking photos of the background uh, one of the charities um, got shut down as soon as I left uh, about a week after there's an American company that go in and pull it all down and take the kids and put them in proper accommodation so I had friends on the Sunshine Coast that owned the charity that were funding this fully charity. They discovered it. They put the kids in it. They got someone to run it. And when I got there, it, it wasn't what was happening. So, so everyone else, it. yeah, there was about six people paying their school fees. And, yeah, so, and the people that were supposed to run it didn't live there. And they got so wanting to impress me. They took me to their actual house and their actual car which no one has a car there unless you got money and like mm -hmm. wooed me with all their fabulous dinners. And I just took photos of the whole thing and they just got shut down. So it was cool. I loved being undercover and in my head I could, you know, I could think what I wanted the whole time. My therapist taught me that five years ago and it's got me a long way. Say what you want here, but don't say it here. And it's great. And I literally, was just thinking, oh, you people are just scum, you know. How could you take from these kids? And, and um, yeah, and it worked. And I, when I got the phone call back in Australia, I cried because I was there nine weeks, three days with my youngest son and we were so sick, man. We got so many bugs and we were just so sick and it was so hard. And, you know, to come back and for it not to have, done something it just would have been I felt like it just nothing was happening and then it just all turned around in the end and yeah it's it's um I needed a year off <laughs> yeah. yeah well my first thought was was really interesting that you said I am love and then you said I'm lonely mm. so the thought that love mm. can yeah. be like but of course mm. Of course, that's the mm. thing because love is vulnerable, right? Love is lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. Got me I think the god of love, Cupid or Eros, mm. who was this, you know, little naked child with wings and a bow and arrow and all. But when he fell in love, according to the ancient Greek stories, he didn't mm. fall in love with beautiful man or woman, or yeah, he fell in love with psyche. So love falls in love with the soul mm. and i've heard you describe a lot of stuff where one might say i'm going to contradict myself that one might say there's a lot of marked souls that you've come into contact with mm. um, when you describe what you do and you didn't use the phrase but it was a phrase that angel used mm. a lot of people would say well that sounds like social justice to me you know not to go here or there i want to actually ask angel to just, if you would, unpack a little, if social justice were a suitcase, <laughs> what does that phrase mean to you? forgot that was yours. I use it all the time. Um, ah. <laughs> um, what does social justice mean to me? Um, it means having a core philosophy of equity um, that everyone deserves to have um, the same treatment. Everyone deserves to have the same, um, I don't want to say things, but, um, but yes, things. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, basically equity. I mean, equity covers it. Like if, if everybody is equitable, then things are equitable, then there will be justice. So opportunity mm. is, yeah. that, is that? Opportunity, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the little um, image, uh, the stare image over the fence thing about equality and equity, you've seen that. Um, where the um, everyone's equal and they have the three kids have the different sized kids have the same box, um, and then yeah. two of them can't stay uh, bent still. But equity is them having different size boxes because they're different sizes, um, and they can all see over the fence. Yes, so it's those who need a leg up get the leg up, yeah. And those who are already up will don't need the leg up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all change the world a little bit and I think we can, we can do our best, but I, I don't think most people are doing that. I think most people are building their empire. Most people are set on, um, yeah, like selfishness. Like I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, I got, I got hit by a truck. I won a couple of hundred grand on a terrible law case and then I've, I've lived with 587 people to keep this going here and it's a bit of a halfway house. So nothing, I can tell you now, nothing's really been handed. I've worked for everything but at the same time I've seen 587 people come and go and stay here. So I've met a lot of people and, and I think that people are interested in building their own empire selfishly whereas I can say that everyone that, has been through here, has left something here for me, either something to learn or a new light fitting or a new doormat or how to make this or how to design that or how to make a basket or like I think people are just knowledge and I think that everyone has something to offer someone but people also have to be open to it and I'm not a racist, obviously. I work all over the world supporting other cultures but I have struggled lately since COVID to not be a racist to my own country. It's been an issue I've been posting and I would never say that because I've got to have the image of the Aussie chick, but I struggle with the small mind, the lack of knowledge of travel, the, um, the opinions of putting everyone in that box they call life and, and the system and the unhappy marriages and the, you know, it's okay to have affairs and the, um, everything. I could sit here and write off fifty things yeah, that I just disagree yeah. with, and it, we don't. We've lost our. We've lost our culture. We're all mongrels, and everyone thinks everyone's walking around going, "Oh, I'm English," and "Oh, I'm this," and I'm that. I'm like, we're mongrels, mate. Like, we're <laughs> we heard it first mongrels. between the butcher and the block. Yeah, we are all yourself. mongrels. We're oh. dead mongrels. <laughs> we're mongrels. Hey, you know what I like, and it's topical, <laughs> and you touched on it. I try and uh, I'm trying to put together a, a point of view about the difference between Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, who both said similar things but in different trajectory. I feel like the Malcolm X side sort of had more sway, any way you can, and 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 I can understand that too with some of the things that are going on. Um, but I, I feel like Martin Luther was saying, "Look, let's just draw a line in the sand and change the narrative and the conversation." Mm -hmm. And and move into like a love. Um, it, do you think that's possible over in the states at the moment, where uh, half the population nearly can just accept? I, I argue that a tiny fraction, uh, 15, 20 percent, 
can uh, belittle others so easily. Because I feel like the narrative wasn't changed for young people. They grew up into the racism everywhere and it's going to ruin your life and you're going to suffer. And to now, these are the young activists. Whereas if they did go home from today and say to the young people, look, whether it's abundant or not, you can still achieve whatever you like. You can still love and be love. And do you think that's yeah, capable? I don't know. Have, have I, they gone I think, too far? I think um, saying love is the answer is really simplistic. Um, I think that we need to. Well, um, I just actually... mean rejecting evil, rejecting hate. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think dismantling the system is actually really important and possible. Um, can they can they survive without police officers? Can our our society survive survive without? That's police that's officers? that's what they're talking about. They're possibly yeah, defunding right. police yeah. officers um, in the states. Look, I think that. Um, Dismantling systems either happen in a really massive revolutionary way or they happen in steps. I think dismantling something like the prison system or the police force is, is something that probably needs to happen in steps. Um, mm -hmm. And I very much believe in re um, reworking both of those systems, yeah, um, yeah. dismantling and reworking. And like, I think, you know, I've spent a lot of my life, in the dismantling, dismantling society yeah. kind of, yeah. Do you, like Emmy said earlier that sociopathy rules um, and you could say that psychopathy is linked with that. Um, does it feel like in the States that they've said, no, okay, well, psychopathy is not going to rule. The sociopaths, we're going to get to the top and we're going to rewrite the laws and let it all trickle down. Do you think it's going to get to a state where actually the police will come out and there might be months of war and then one clear winner look it's not impossible um i it's a bit hard to see what's gonna happen there like there's so many factors in play and yeah there is there are people in power who are not well you know like yeah. there are that's just the that's very polite way to put it angel <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it's pretty true across the board, you know, the people who actually get into high power positions, whether it's because they're um, controlled in a puppet like kind of way, they've been put there by other people or whether they actually got there themselves. Let's say we can control the power and change some of the structural systems. I think the schooling's a big one. We could change that. I argue that our young people go to school now. They do geography, maths, English, religion and break up their day into six little periods. Um, but kids learn at different speeds. They learn at different rates. Maybe they don't want to work. Maybe they want to go and uh, skateboard for, for two hours. And maybe they're really good at English. That's a nice segue, a question for Angel, because you are now involved in schooling. Yeah. Right? I know or understand or believe or misunderstand that in former angel in the past, same person, but <clears throat> you were mostly involved with uh, working with adult organisations and, and so on. What in your life or in your thinking, not that you can separate the two, what brought that transition on? What was it that brought you to education of young people as your current path? an interesting question because it's got many layers i mean the practical answer is i needed to support my daughter 
Um, <laughs> and being an artist and an actor and a designer and singer, those things are not well paid. What got me there, I think, was partially doing, um, starting to do facilitation in prisons with the Shakespeare Prison Project and just starting to really enjoy kind of sharing skill. And that kind of led to wanting to, to do it in school. Um, I really do think the school system has big issues. I think that most people know that it does. Um, and that it's really it's really difficult like people fall through the gaps and that's something that is known um there's some really good efforts being made in senior schooling to um, provide what kids need so um even in the state system there's some really good things happening um you can do a bunch of tafe certs like in senior now um so like it's not all academic it's got really strong kind of non-academic strength and stuff but it is still this system where kids have to sit in a room um, <laughs> um yeah there's this they still have to sit in a room um with you know 25 desks 27 desks and with a person at the front or you know all over and there's all these ideas about how you can do that well in that space but um, the times that I know I have had the freedom to even just take them outside. And I also, I work in practical areas. So at the moment I'm teaching senior art and um, we have a lot of leeway with that, I guess. But there, there really does need to be different formats available for kids to be able to learn in. So how do you change that um, conversation? I know there's a famous story about a young girl that couldn't sit still. Um, and maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was written I was the answer, but uh, the principal said to this young girl, put music on, and she danced. She went on to choreograph Cats. So yeah. my question is, how do we start the conversation where kids that excel in, a, in, in, in one field yeah. can practice that and become the best in that field? Yeah. You take them out of school and you let them wag. Sure. And like, there are definitely uh, some schooling systems that I reckon are quite cool. Like the Montessori system is pretty interesting that has any, any kind of um, uh, democratic school thing that they work on kind of project based learning. So the kids are um, working on what they're interested in, but also kind of completing curriculum mm. stuff. Mm. Um, homeschooling is really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of freedom in homeschooling. I'm a um, I'm a bit of an anti-homeschool person. I yeah, um, yeah. unless you're remote, um, I've had a lot of friends do it and stuff like that, and um, I find their kids awkward. I find like you cannot learn everything off your mum, and even if your maths teacher is going to teach, even if you're learning people skills at school, you're learning how to be in a playground. If you can't survive in the playground, you can't survive in the real world. And that's just the way we were sort of brought up. And I have to agree with that. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've just, I know the kids that have been homeschooled and I feel like they're going to struggle. And I feel like you have to learn people skills. And, and, and I'm totally dyslexic. I'm a grade eight dropout, believe it or not. My daughter's dyslexic. She's insta-famous everything. She's entrepreneur, gets paid to bloody get her hair done. She's worked out how to do it. I've worked out how to do it. 
I, my kids, ADD, um, not behavioural, but in a learning disability, we are all dyslexics, but we will all be successful. We will all be happy because I will teach my kids to be, change the world. It's actually a sign of creativity. So, mm. like, it's actually yeah. um, many really intelligent yeah. Listen, do you, do you think that, um, Emma, you said that you have to learn how to navigate the, the, the school playground, and, yep, I agree. Do you feel like we're getting to a point in, in um, culture where um, the kids that couldn't survive just sat in the classroom, done their schoolwork and got the A's and then become leaders of, their, of the countries, mm. but they're disconnected from our realities? I think all humanity has a part. I mean, I think life is a big fat classroom. I think that's what we're living in. I think we're, we're just learning every day in this big classroom called life. I think the system is the system. Like, I don't fight systems because I'm a lion in a sheep's world. So I, I find I can be more of a lion. Just being a sheep, vote, pay your taxes send your kid to school you know what if they don't want to go tomorrow and it's not going to affect them because they're not getting a's let's face it let's have a day off and go to the bench so, <laughs> no i agree i don't know i'm i'm pretty crazy i'm not bringing up rocket scientists i'm just bringing up good happy kids and last year i had the big meeting and i had the whole board i had five teachers principals all there sitting there and they're telling me that they want to repeat my son and, um, you know, they think it's the best that the, he just repeats and they're going on and he'd had tutoring and he is like the most amazing kid. And I was sitting there and I just said, look, I've listened to all your views. I think you're all valid. But has anyone ever seen him dance? And I, the principal cracked up laughing and then they were like so serious. I just broke the room. And I said, look, okay. my point my point is I don't care if my son pulls, like, pulls fuel. I don't care if he... You know, is a checkout chick at friggin' Audi. If my son is happy, my son is honest, my son is a good human, I actually don't care because it doesn't matter about money. It doesn't matter about who you are or what you are. I'm happier than all the rich people I know. I'm, I'm more trustworthy than all of these people pretending they've got these successful marriages. I can rip it all to pieces because I've lived it, I've been in it, I've pulled it to pieces. And, and I understand true, true, true happiness of life comes with love, love for yourself, love for your children, love for your surroundings, being thankful. And, and really, I feel like I've nailed that. And, and that was in the last six years of leaving, obviously, a domestic violence relationship. So I had to find myself completely from scratch and, and in a fragile sense, and I'm still fragile, but I, I understand it and I get it and I feel like um, it's so simple and everyone makes it so complicated. Yeah. I think that if you've got an opinion, have it. Just have it and just keep it to yourself. <laughs> it's a technique called put the bat down. Put the bat down. When someone's yeah. fighting me and I'm not answering back, they're the balls. I can see them going over my head. They're calling me everything under the sun. I'm going, all right, well, that's all right. Yeah, okay. Don't fight it. Don't fight. Don't try and change people's views. It's all this, this stuff that's going on in the media now. Who cares? Yeah. Like, who cares? That one guy's death has caused a trillion others' death in riots, cops being killed. It's anger feeds anger and love feeds love. So if yeah. you can go through your day and you can be loved and you can tie your tongue and focus on the positive, not the negative, you can have an amazing life. 
Like I'm gifted things in this house. I have friends that go, oh, I'm going overseas to live. Here, do you want my three grand Chesterfield? Okay. Like why? Because I've helped them. I've loved them. I've cared for them. I've been a nice person. Good things come to good people and it, and it happens Amy, eventually. Emmy, I agree. Uh, uh, my favourite saying is I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I drink <laughs> coffee, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say the George Floyd thing was symbolic more than anything. I, I, like I've, I've checked some facts too. There was, there was something like um, 959 police killings last year in the States and 4% were white cops on, on black ki uh, kids. Huh. So it, it's more symbolic than anything. But uh, there's also, of, of the 14,000 people that were killed last year, it was 7,000 were black on black killings. So... I certainly agree that, that something needs to be tweaked there. I think the whole thing's about systematic racism um, and um, how embedded that is in culture and society. So I don't think you can just go, oh, well, a lot of white cops died too. Like it's, it's, yeah. not, it's, not, um, it's not the same thing. Um, it's the enculturated systematic racism that's actually the problem and and that's what this is about and it's not just about it there it's about it here um it it, it this idea that you know <laughs> that our prime minister is talking about um that it's it's an american thing it's not an american thing it happens here all the time i would argue um, it's actually worse here yeah i think what we're dealing with is a flashpoint it was a trigger point it wasn't the cause absolutely it was just the the spark and I think it was because it was captured on film. Like if that wasn't captured on film and we just heard about it, it wouldn't have it. had any impact at all. It wouldn't have even caused a riot. Yeah. The fact that it was actually visual for us, and I think that's what's happening more so now. Everything's yeah. fired up. That's absolutely right because the, um, the, most of the Indigenous, Australian Indigenous deaths in custody or deaths by police violence um, are not recorded. Mm. And like you, you can tell the difference between the ones that are. So we have that uh, the image, the actual footage mm. of the guy in the hood that they they are in the juvenile detention centre. Mm. We've got footage of that. So like that's that became big because we have we could see it. Mm. Um, we can't yeah. see it most of the time. Fun see, Eric Courtney Harris said the same thing three years ago. I can't breathe and was choked to death by uh, four or five officers. Mm. It's, it's a repeating cycle. Um, exactly the same words. Well, Daniel Yock, I mean, that's a long time ago. I was part of that, like, the um, when Daniel Yock died, who's a young dancer in Brisbane. That was kind of the first one of them that I remember, like I was, I don't know, 19 or something. Um, and that was my awakening to a lot of things, but particularly that issue. Um, and just the the power that people can reply to with peaceful protest as well, you know that that march went past um, the Watch House and it went from Musgrove Park to the Watch House and back. It wasn't long, but it was silent, and people had their fists in the air for the whole thing. And it's the pretty much you know one of the most powerful things I've been a part of. Ever. Yeah, and it really opened opened my world to reality. <laughs> yeah, and, the power of people when, when everything else is eliminated, just yeah. our pure force and energy. 
Yeah. I argue that schooling, kids go to school, they hate it, they got a teacher up there, they hate it, authoritarian, they're alienated, they're not as smart, they're not as clever, they're not progressing. And that's where kids sort of diverge into maybe <coughs> crime, drugs. But sure. I, I think if we could get the schooling right, maybe we could bring... It's by no means just the schooling because no. I see kids. Um, I've had this experience so many times. It just breaks my heart every time. I've done a lot of supply. So I've worked in a lot of different schools as relief. And I worked at Caboolture for a long time. Not that it just happens there. Um, it's everywhere. Where, you know, have a kid sitting there going and you're trying to help them and, you know, do whatever. And they're saying, oh, don't worry, miss. I'm stupid. Yeah. Don't waste your time. Yeah. So no, common. No really. one's born thinking, oh, hello, I'm stupid. That yeah. comes in from somewhere else. That comes in from somewhere else. And it's not just from school. No, it is. No. It is parental as well. Yeah. And like a lot of those kids are from hard homes. A lot of them are from spaces where people actually tell them that. And yep. that's pretty foreign to me as far as something that I would ever say to anyone. Um, but like, I think people do, you know, like that, that people get told that kids develop that idea about themselves because people tell them that. After, after that demonization of that kid, he doesn't start hating you. He starts hating himself. It doesn't hate me. Well, I think so. That's all learnt behavior. Uh, yeah. the, the racism, that's all learnt around the, around the kitchen table, the media projection, uh, TV, but also being a victim of, of, of some of these things, that's all learnt imbibed as well, I think. Where yeah, I think it's a really specific kind of like you, you learn something about yourself at that age by what people tell you. And wherever it comes from, it start getting, starts getting cemented because what the second you start thinking, the human brain is so fragile, the second mm. you start thinking that you're stupid, you <laughs> start doing things. Because you like, your you, brain you is working. a machine. You stop it's just interpreting all the time. It's just always taking in imagery and in information. It's always listening and always taking in information. And that's the pathway that gets developed and it just stops anything else. Neural pathway gets developed. I'm stupid. So don't it can try. be changed. So don't, you know, I'm like... I'm seeing this thing written on a whiteboard in prison one day. It said, what you say I am, I will become. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true yeah. on so many levels. Yeah, there's one for like parents that says something like, um, the way you speak to your kids will become the inner voice. Oh, fuck it. I want to dig down a little deeper into the personal. I'm ready. <laughs> we are very interested here in the narrow gap between the butcher and the block. Is how we come. <laughs> we don't, we have we can't afford sound effects. That's the best we got. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. Um, is how we come to hold the values that we hold, and, and I think we're we're getting into that. We've heard a little bit about backgrounds and and so forth. Now, both of you, if I'm not mistaken, are single parents. Can't see them nodding, but they're not. Yes. <laughs> nodding. Yeah. Yes, we are. One of them is threatening me with a cleaver, but still nodding. So. Uh, that, and that basically means um, you 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 raise your children largely on your own. I know for at least one of you, there's some shared custody arrangement, but you're pretty much 
pretty much. Mostly it when it comes to raising the kid, right? First question, how has that shaped who you are? I know that's a big question, a dumb question, a vague question. It's not a dumb question. It's actually pretty easy to answer. Um, I mean, I think having a kid in general um, probably um, stops some sort of like selfish gene. <laughs> like you immediately are responsible for somebody else's physical and emotional welfare. It's impossible to be selfish anymore. You, you actually... If you're a good mum. If you're a good mum, yes, there's yeah. plenty of people out um, there that aren't, yeah, connected. Um, if, you, if you're focusing on that, you mm. are essentially no longer selfish because you just don't have time. Um, <laughs> um, so that definitely, you know, I was very much, a, like, I was quite individual, you know, like I, whilst I had partners and stuff, like I, did a lot of things by myself. I just relied on myself. I, you know, like mm. I did things kind of from, from a selfish point of view until I had a kid, I think. And Robert knows this, but I had another child who died. So um, when I had my first child, I think that happened, even though I didn't get to bring him up. There's something really um, core about that, that lack of, self anymore and it's not a bad thing it can get it can get out of balance for sure and we do need ourselves as well um but it's a pretty cool thing to actually just be responsible for someone else and yeah. love doing that what about for you emmy how did it uh, for me i was blessed with maternal instinct and, and, you know, I don't think that happens for everyone. I think um, for me, um, having my daughter was healing my childhood. I didn't want a girl. I wanted a boy. And I was pregnant and I wanted a boy and I had a girl. And for me, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. She's like my sister, my best friend, and by far not my daughter because everyone just thinks the opposite. And my mum tells me off daily because we're like sisters and we just get up to so much shit together. But anyway, um, so I had my best friend and, and we just ran a muck. And from when she was a baby, we dressed the same. And we've got about like <laughs> a thousand albums of outfits the same. And we used to go to show with Supergirl. And we've just been um, in the media because of it. And I just, I just love my little wing chick. And, you know, I didn't throw her in a daycare. Um, she did half a day of daycare the year before school. So if I went and did a, a wedding makeup, she'd have her own kit and she'd massage their hands. And okay. so she was she was very much <laughs> in my life. Like, um, and you know, going through teen years was always challenging. Um, it's sort of like, oh, who yeah. are you and what have you done with my best friend? She <laughs> was kind of yeah. Like we're just we're person. just hitting the beginning of that now. Yeah, and that's that's testing and hurtful, Good and luck. it definitely tests your your patience, and it tests um it tests you on every level, and it questions who you are, and you you re, you sort of get a bit like annoyed that you've worked so hard at this perfect child, and then they just turn into a bit of a rat for a bit, and you just like what just happened? I just failed. I just yeah. failed. I gave up my social life. The men yeah. were like, no, I got nothing. 
but um, they come out of it. Yeah. And um, I left both my son, my son and my daughter's dad when they were seven months old. So there's um, the patterning, which uh, you might know a lot about life, life patterns. And that was my pattern I left. I didn't realise um, that I'd done the seven-month thing till a bit later and it was exactly the same. So the second time around for me being a mum has just been... Oh, like it's so much easier the second time. Um, I've, I've just found it. Um, I think you guys knew that my daughter also passed away uh, in labour um, and then I conceived my son six weeks after. So oh, he wow. was my miracle. So I was pregnant, it felt like, for two years. So by the time he came along, I was just, I was so in love with him that he was alive and that he was healthy and, and um yes. And there wasn't really anything that was going to burst my, my bubble. I've thought that he's the man of my life. I, I thought that, you know, I was going to be some kept woman and have some man and have five kids to him and have this amazing life. But I kind of realised when I look around, I've created an amazing life and there, there is no man here. And um, him and I are just inseparable. It hurts my head that he goes to his dad's three days a week and, and, and stuff. And yeah. that's, that's just me being selfish. Um, you know, I've, I'm struggling going through some stuff at the moment that dad's girlfriend's moved in and I'm not upset that dad's got a girlfriend. I'm stoked. I actually feel very sorry for the woman. Good luck. Um, he's been trying for six years, but failed miserably, um, to get me back. But I, I am more upset that there's this woman that has my son more than I do because when I have him, I have him during the week. So he comes home and she's all arty and, you know, and that's hurting my brain that someone's in love with my, well, not in love, but, you know, like that's, that's, it's almost like I feel jealous and I never Mm. feel jealous and I've never met the woman I don't even know her and I, I, I love her from a distance because she's making my son happy, but it hurts my heart. I, you know, I dropped him off this morning to school and I, I was walking back like having a bit of a cry. I was like, off he goes. And, you know, when he's around me, he's my love bubble. And people say, you know, because I always say he's never had a tantrum. He, he never cries. He's like the perfect kid. And they're saying, oh, I'm really disconnected to my kid at the moment and we're fighting. Honestly, he doesn't, at his dad's, he cries, he has tantrums, he has all this stuff that I don't experience. And I only think it's because I'm connected to him. And we've travelled a lot solo together overseas. We've spent a lot of time together. He trusts me. Um, You know, if I say this is going to taste funny if we're at the hospital overseas or this is going to hurt, and, you, you know, I explain things to him. And our trust bond is huge. And I don't have the distraction of life. So when I have him, I switch off. My phone's just not even a priority. Nothing's a priority. I switch off into mum land. And I think that that's why a lot of mums don't get that break and they don't get the time to go to work and do it all. Whereas I have, I have two hats in my week. I'm like mum world and then I just go into work mode. So... Um, I get the break and I get the time to reset and maybe that's why I feel like I have this perfect child because I have the time to give him and a lot of parents don't because, you know, maybe they're working too much. My daughter, I was a workaholic and um, I didn't realise how bad my addiction was to work as she grew up and there was many nights that she would come in and say, Mum, can you put me to bed? And I'd say, yeah, doll, pick a book. And... Um, 
I never got there. And I was just in the zone, saving kids overseas, thinking it was so important on the computer because it was important. Yeah, I've got to say that really resonates with me because that half the week on my own to do my other things has actually, I mean, this is not a good advertisement for for living. (laughs) I know, singles group. (laughs) Leave me a better parent the rest of the week. It's not Yeah, you do. Look, question two for both of you. Since you both raised it, you both lost children in and around childbirth, right? That's that's huge. How has that shaped you? It shaped me, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's kind of like everything before that. Like I have kind of, because my experience was fairly massive trauma. Like I, yeah, I'm not going to go into it heaps, but um, it was extremely traumatic home birth. Um, got separated from my baby. I nearly died. Blah blah blah, um, in the middle of nowhere. Um, blah blah blah. I nearly died. Blah blah blah. <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, I kind of I have some. There's some things I don't remember before that. Like I've got kind of trauma memory stuff. So that and I. It's kind of like my life started again. Like before that doesn't it's I mean it kind of matters but it's it's definitely still impactful in who I am but um it certainly has I mean he'd be 13 this year and it's still impactful every year uh, and it gets more manageable every year but it's framed my last 13 years like that um around management of trauma and management of grief um and the first two years um the reason why we didn't have a child um, again for a few years was that we were in the middle of a coronary inquiry um, for two years. And so that was pretty traumatic and drawn out. And, you know, the the week that Bella was born, there was still a health complaints commission inquiry that we were supposed to give evidence at. And I just went, you've got to be fucking kidding. I'm not giving evidence the week that my daughter is due. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but better had to. And so that's three years of, of that was in the paper. Everyone knew about it, but nobody actually really knew the story or people still don't really know the story. Um, and there's a lot of that I keep to myself, I think. So there's, there's certainly an amount that I'm kind of free with. And there's, there's a, it's like an iceberg thing. Like the, the, amount, the amount you can see on top is kind of the bit that I'm free with and the bit underneath is a lot bigger. Um, and I'm still like, I, it's like an onion grief. Like it kind of just every, every year for me it, um, un, unravels a little bit more. And some years are fine. Some years are okay. Um, I worked for the first year on his birthday last year um, and that was pretty okay. But this year I've got a whole bunch of like inner onion stuff coming up that I haven't even touched before. So yeah, I don't know. Grief is an interesting thing. <laughs> I think all griefs are like that, but yeah, I don't know if losing a baby is any different to losing someone you love. And my first child. Yeah. I struggle to understand how the parents would connect with their child until I was told that I would be a father 
and we went to 12 weeks before there was a but the the overpowering feeling of love for this little bean is just was out of my brain like i love mm -hmm. my parents to death there is nothing in the world that i wouldn't do for them the same with my friends this 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 when i i, I couldn't believe how it flooded over me for this mm -hmm. little thing that was going to be mine mm. how did how did what do you want to say emmy Ask me the question again, Steve. Question was me. It was me, and it wasn't. It was Steve. Rob. Oh, sorry, Rob. I actually meant Rob. I just yeah. See, trauma. Angel, understand. You can call me Steve if you want. <laughs> Steve. Steve. <laughs> PH. It's pronounced Steve. Roberto. How did losing a child in birth around birth? How do you believe that that has shaped you? The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful? Yeah, well, I had a, a little bit of a, yeah, okay, I'll be honest here. Um, I didn't want to have any more kids. I was done. I had my daughter. Um, I didn't plan to have any more kids. My, I was uh, remarried and my son's dad was desperate to have children and I had some health issues and I went, I had Graves disease to be honest and I went off the, the pill and we had a, a bit of a slip up and I went to the doctor to get my results for my Graves disease and they said congratulations you're pregnant and he happened to be there by fluke because he was driving back from work from Brizzy and I just literally popped in and I burst into tears and he was throwing a party. So I was so mixed emotion because I'd been such a single mum, such a single mum. My daughter's dad was a real, oh, he's gorgeous. He's a big surfer and whatever, but he's, he's just not, he's not always around. And, um, yeah, so I did it on my own and, and no maintenance, nothing. And I really just didn't want to do all that again. And I really wanted to focus on career because I always felt like I was the Vegas showgirl that never got her career because I became a mum instead and my contracts got pulled because I was a mum. So I, I wanted a career and, and then I had this four months of just, I'm not one of these people that glow that are like, I'm pregnant, I'm pretty. I turn into a house. I, I literally, I cough, I piss myself. I'm just, you name it, from the second I'm pregnant, I'm just, it's not that for me at all. Um, so I, I, was, I was resenting everything. I was like, I don't want to do this. And meanwhile, he was throwing a party. And, and then we found out we're having a girl. And then he, he got quite upset. And that affected my head greatly. He didn't want a girl. And he said, right until the day we had the check, I don't want a girl. And then we had a girl and that hurt my head. Um, I was like, oh, okay, so now I'm having a girl. So that made me feel very insecure, very vulnerable. Um, obviously, um, there was domestic violence involved as well. There was a bit of that going on in the pregnancy. I felt like I'd landed in hell, to be completely honest. It was probably one of the worst times of my life. Then we, we got to nearly the end of the pregnancy and we went and had another check. And it was the last three months that I really got, okay, I'm going to make the best out of a shit situation. That's when the warrior comes in. Right, I'm pregnant. I'm going to, all right, let the career go. I'm just going to take this on and, and, um, and, and, you know, I'm just going to bring up this amazing kid and just get over it. So, you know, I decorated the nursery and made it the flamenco room and just went crazy with everything. But I couldn't buy anything for four or five months. I was just so disconnected. And then um, 
And then I was excited and then I got connected and I realised that I had to have this daughter and I had to protect her from what I was bringing her into also. Then I, I had her and um, two weeks before I had her, I called her Angelique Nevea, which is actual, actually Nevea is heaven spelt backwards. And I wanted to, sp- I wanted to call her Angel something angel because of my charity and I knew from prayer that this child was everything to do with my charity so when she came out after 18 hours um and they took her away and and they brought her back to me and um they asked her name I said Angelique Nevea and I just I just burst into like tears but happy tears because it was like I called her heaven's angel and I didn't even know she was going to die. So it was really like, wow, okay. And then I spent some time with her as, as you do. And then, you know, they took her away and I came home and I felt like um, my in-laws and even my own family were a bit more like it was all about them and it was just taking over my house and everyone came to stay and I didn't ask them to and it was just bombarding me. So I got on a plane um, and went to Asia to my kids over there. And I spent a month there in the slums working with babies. And after about five days when I got there, I sort of mourned on my own and, and stuff. And then I literally uh, went to the Buddhist temple there where I work. Even though I'm Christian, I work everywhere for everyone. Everyone is on no affiliation. And uh, all the little Buddha babies have all got this little shaved bit at the front of their hair and there's like so many of them. And I just had them all around me. Like I was just sitting there and they were just <laughs> hanging on me everywhere. And I was connecting with these babies and I I realised that there were so many women as well that I was working with at this time that had disabled children, that had babies that they'd lost. And I realised that she was my blessing for my charity to be able to give me a heart for women that have lost babies that have, uh, you know, can't find them. They're abandoned. Like the country's crazy and also disability because she was really disabled when she came out. She had a lot of things going on visually as well. So for me it was this was a part of my chapter. This was meant to happen to me. This this was totally meant to happen to me. And um, I was so connected to her birthday, like Angel was saying, the birthday thing was. So I was so connected to her birthday and every birthday I'd go to her memorial and when four years in her memorial got vandalised and I pulled down and it was just really awful because I hadn't visited and then I went through guilt of that. It wasn't till I disconnected completely from my spirit, her father, that I disconnected um, in uh, March this year on her birthday. Uh, Mum and I went and did a little service and it was the most spiritual, amazing thing ever. We were in a, in a little river thing near my mum's house at the Alex Beach. It's like a river. And we're in, I was sitting in the water and she made this ball thing with like mum's artist too. And I put it in and this, as soon as I put it in, there was no current and this thing just went all around me and then it hid there. I, was, I can't even describe it. It was actually like a spiritual whole other level God was there, she was there, and then all of a sudden she went and I felt her go. And I've had complete, like, complete closure since um, March this year. And I'm so excited to meet her in heaven. I have no 
there's not a morning feeling that I have anymore. Like I'm excited to see her. And um, yeah, it's, it's, and she's very much alive in our life. Like my, my son said last night, he goes, mum, you know how we don't see our sister, my sister. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, it's like, we don't see both my sisters. Cause like, <laughs> he's yeah. never, he, cause he's, you know, our eldest has moved out of home or my eldest. So He's like, so she's just like a part of our, you know, we said the other week that I'm going to, mummy's probably going to go to heaven first and then I'm going to see Angelique and then we're going to wait and then you guys are going to come up, you know, like it's, it's very much happy and it's very much, um, I think her death was really significant to, to my journey of helping, um, women well you do you know the shiver that goes up your the back when you talk about spirits or past that's them coming to say hello so i've just got well, shivers up the back of my neck as well. <laughs> i don't know who does the test sorry rob about <laughs> souls recognizing each other but babies don't have souls till they say like maybe a little way in so maybe who says um, that? the baby was born and being made and the soul came to emmy and said well if I come, it's going to change the direction of your life. Went to another place and, like you say, he's waiting for you. You're still waiting for your soul, Steve. I think it's overrated. <laughs> I don't need it. All right, my third and final question. Then I'll yeah, okay. we'll change gear here slightly. Question for both of you. Would you describe yourself as a feminist and, more importantly, whether the answer is yes or no doesn't matter, more importantly... What does that term mean to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I identify, I guess, as being a feminist activist and have done for, since I was about 18. Um, and what does it mean to me? It goes back to equity. <laughs> it means equity. It means being uh, strong and it means being... It means challenging um, the ways that the world works. I'm not a feminist. I believe, you know, you know, cut out all the crap food and the pharmaceutical and all the crap and the way our bodies moved on and our minds moved on over the years. I'm, I'm, I'm not a feminist at all. I love women. I own a women's charity. I think women should be feminine and I don't think we should have to fight to be in man roles. And I don't. And I don't think we're not, I don't think we're incapable of a man's role. I just think that, the relationships that I've seen really work in society and a lot of them are older generation are, you know, the women love the cooking, the nurturing, the, you know, I think we're, we're queens. I think we have princesses and princes, but I think we're queens. I think we are the queen. I think at the end of the day in our house, I think we're the boss and I think women make all the decisions and that's where I make all my money and all my sales jobs. I always focus on the woman because a woman will always have the final say. So if that woman wants that house, she's getting that house. So <laughs> I think women need to know their power, but it doesn't need to be where, like if, if I'm a woman and I want to be a politician, yeah, great. And I think it just should be equality. So I wouldn't call myself a feminist. I would call myself all for equality. But, and I don't think women have to, should have to fight for that role. I think it should just be. But on the same token, I think that, Men are physically, when, like this is going back, you know, I'm going back cavemen here. Um, you know, I think they're meant to hunt and I think they're meant to that and I think we're meant to gather and nurture. I think our roles are, are, are that. 
and I have become in today's society with all the traumas that have gone in my life, I've become this alpha and that's why I get, yeah, a feminist. I've become an alpha because the man role has let me down in my life. So I have become the alpha. I don't want to be the alpha. I want to be the feminine. You know, I want to go, honey, you're wearing that. And he's going to go, no, I don't want to wear that. And I'm going, excuse me, you just you just wear that and, you know, don't fight me. I want to run the house. I want to run our holidays. I want to run the, what we eat. I want to run what our goals are. I want to get my husband to his goals. I want to, I want to be that woman that's going to, you know, take care of my king and, and, and still be the boss between between. Well, they always this saying has gone on forever behind every really successful man is a very strong woman yeah. and I'm happy to take that step back it hasn't happened for me but I still have that belief and I still have that hope for that I can identify with that I think that's great <laughs> behind every great man is a is a better woman rolling her eyes is my favorite <laughs> Oh, everyone rolls their eyes at me. Man, woman, child, doesn't it's matter. Yeah. Lizard rolls its eyes. <laughs> when they are male-dominated ways of working and attempting to break that down in any way possible. It's not just about social justice for me. Like, it's kind of like a... It's embedded in environmental justice and um, oh, it's embedded in the earth and how the earth's treated, how individuals are treated and groups are treated it comes back to that systematic enculturated male-dominated ways of doing things that are kind of embedded in our culture i guess like a focus or a um a drive to break that down um in big ways and little ways because it's insidious as well like i have let's just say friends, uh, acquaintances um, that, that, um, that call themselves feminists as men. Um, Barack the Obama idea that you can do that as a, as a um, you know, alpha white male in a very powerful position, but also act at the same time in really negative ways towards women in your life without even realising it half the time. That, that, that insidious stuff, I think, is really important to break down and really important to challenge when we see it. The term is, like, it's semantics half the time. Like, it, it's, you know, yeah. like, like you just described a whole lot of things that I would call feminist. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call someone who was alpha necessarily feminist. I've met heaps of alpha women that aren't feminist. It's not ne- it just doesn't necessarily kind of coincide. I think if you believe in... in um, empowering yourself and empowering other women, then then that's feminist. Oh yeah! Like mm. you don't have to call it that, but like mm. that's it's semantics, you know. Like that that is equity. I guess I'm <laughs> empowering is... women to to almost conform a little bit though, so I don't feel like I'm I don't know I don't feel like I'm pushing them. I, I guess all the f- people I've met that are feminists are sort of no, oh there's almost like a bit of anger behind it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there should be. There should be. There's been yeah, some sure uh, suffering over the years. It's, um, it, well, it's lucky that you want equality and not uh, vengeance, mm. because there was some there was some well, uh, my... atrocities over the years. I the, think anger fuels any activism. 
Sorry, sorry, Angel. It's the media projection again, I think, because when you think of a feminist, you think of a ball breaker, this and that, uh, maybe a lesbian. But I I think I should just... That's a very conservative idea. idea of a feminist just owning your own person, empowering yourself amongst the... Out in the world, I I, I don't yeah, think that's, that's I don't think we names for it. Just just someone who owns herself, who understands and and has that power. My my son and I, he says this religiously. It's like our little thing that we do. He'll go, "Mum, Daddy's stronger than you because Dad's a world champion fighter." And I'll go, "Yeah, but where's Daddy strong?" And he goes, "In his muscles." And I go, "Where's Mummy strong?" And he goes, "In her mind and in her heart." Yeah. And that's our thing that we do. So. I think kids need to understand that we are strong differently and that's what we that's what I promote at home. You know, I sort okay. of I say, Oh Wes, don't you worry, mummy's got this and this and you know, mummy might not have as much as that, but mummy's got this and this and you know, you've got to sort of teach teach your kids that, you know, you can be a mum and be definitely, you know, strong. Just yes. you know, I agree, Rob. You might want to cut this out, but I've fought kickboxers and Muay Thai and and, and all sorts. Not one of them could dodge a three hundred three to close range. So <laughs> you can have that, Emmy. <laughs> well, he couldn't change a tire. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Those tires are hard. Change tires. Thank you so much for the time. Is there anything that either of you want to say by way of final word? Closure. Not a feminist. <laughs> Or are you? Call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> I want to say thank you for that and lovely to meet you, Angel. Yeah, and um, I hope you get better. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it thanks. sucks being sick when you got kids. I totally get it. Yeah. And, They're um, still hungry. You got, you got Pizza Hut at Maloney? No, mate. No. Pizza Hut doesn't get you better still. You're talking about dinner now, I'm hungry. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.